2024. This is a podcast about Drupal, PHP, open source, and related software development technologies. I'm Oliver Davis, and tonight I'm here with my guest, Mike Karthauser. Hi, Mike. Yeah. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks, Ollie. Uh, uh, great to have you on the show. Um, can you share a little bit about yourself and what you do? Okay, so I'm a senior software engineer for a fulfillment company in Bristol called Habu. Um, I have been there for nearly two years and previous to that, um, spent about 20 odd years self-employed and contracting. So the job I'm currently in is my second paid job since I left uni, um, some decades ago. So, uh, lot of experience about vague stuff and ultimately sort of self-taught programmer with a graphic design background that's interesting so um recently we had dan leach on the show as well um dan and i had a discussion about his talk about php 2 es um you were also at the lightning talks night giving a, a talk about uh, testing legacy if i remember correctly yeah that's correct yeah sure uh, how did you find, how did that talk go? It seemed to go uh, quite well from, from my side of things. Yeah, I think um, I approached it with many different options to, for talks that night, but uh, we'd just uh, finished or were working on a big chunk of work um, relating to, which involved us having to change um, a piece of code that had been ignored for many years. Um, the fulfillment company I worked for, um, this particular bit of code was to do with um, order processing. So it was sort of, we, our job, we essentially were a software company, but um, we do the whole lot from managing clients' inventories, storing it in our warehouses, and then processing the orders um, and kind of packing, picking, and dispatching. So little Amazon for want of a better um, comparison, but um, we've got software in-house. So we're essentially a technology company. Um, this particular task was to do some optimizations because with our business, we get peak time and peak for us is around about sort of Black Friday and Christmas. So that's typically the time where everything, if it's going to break, it will break then. Um, if we get a lot of orders going through, that will be then. So I decided my talk would be around about that as it was sort of fruit fresh in my mind. I think there's one slide in particular I remember seeing, which I think was a snapshot of a little piece of code that I think you use as an example um, with things like you know, lots of nested if statements and other things in it that I could yeah, yeah. be seeing at the time. Um, that was, that was, yeah, an interesting example. Um, so yeah, there's a few different definitions I usually find. Um, what, what's your definition of, of legacy code? What do you consider to be legacy? Well, I, in my experience, I mean, having spent a reasonable time sort of in and out of other people's businesses, the legacy code tends to be what's described as the bit that the business built first to get their business running. Um, often um, it's either written by the business owner who's now the director and employed loads of devs or it's outsourced um so often sort of eastern european software houses that's where i've generally seen staff so in itself is usually you know probably i don't know half a decade old maybe not got any test coverage around it kind of done in a more traditional sort of agency approach of described how functionally it works and then let people kind of get on and do it um and what that generally means is that code comes back into sort of you know that there's something important sitting that's running every day that not really anybody's sure about what is going on with it um and more importantly people don't want to touch it because bad things happen yeah, I think there's, there's definitely that type of thing in, in all projects is that little bit of code that nobody wants to to touch in case it in case it breaks. Um, there's a quote I was just trying to see if I could find who who put it in, but I remember saying that any any code without tests is legacy. I'm not sure if that's 
common. Yeah, I think that's yeah. uh, it's pretty. You know, it's kind of legacy is kind of like stuff you want to go away, right? That's that's mm -hmm. probably the uh, probably the thing. But um, in my experience as well, the tendency is people walk around it. Maybe someone's had a go at doing some refactor. In our place, particularly, there was um, changes that were made previous year that had to be rolled back because actually they were done in a way that didn't consider all the use case. And bear in mind, it's like working on a live engine. This is so you throw something in, you're going to find it break very quickly. And at peak, you know, breaking for us is, you know, uh, API timeouts, um, database locks, you know, which bad things continue to happen. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what we got. Um, but yeah, we had an interesting role out it, it to kind of work out ways to do optimization on this. Um, but with the fact that it was on a code base that it didn't, uh, it, the, it was on the expression engine, which didn't have PHP unit or a, a recent version of PHP unit in it. So you couldn't even just go, I'll write some tests and then I'll write some code. What's your turnaround time that you say about writing some code or writing some tests? How long between writing that and then it going into production? Because you said about it being sort of an engine and then problems would appear. Well, if that was the case, but like how quick is it something you've got a fairly. Well, we had, we, we basically or... had um, about three weeks from when we were presented with the problem to getting it in a state that it could be tested and then deployed. Um, so it was kind of like working back. So what we had ultimately was the task of examining this particular code, identifying some areas that we could improve and then kind of um, working out which ones we could do first. So, you know, it's a case of, you know, in an ideal world, we'll do all of this, but actually we, you know, prioritized based on time um so that again presented problems because in the first case we were just looking at going right you know you saw the screenshot didn't you and that was a very small bit um there's a there's a um test in um sonar cloud which is a code analysis tool and it gives you cognitive complexity um so um, it looked at this particular thing, its code, and it was sort of like well over 500, where it kind of recommends you in the under 100, sort of like 50 range for, for stuff. Um, so we could see that there was stuff that could or would benefit from making it simpler. I mean, it was just difficult to read. And so the, 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 the problem of difficult to read without test coverage is how do you even know what's doing? Um, and so if you don't know what it's doing, then how can you change it to do something different if you don't know what it's doing in the first place? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think I'm not sure I'm getting my terms quite right, but is it the same as is it cyclomatic complexity where if there's different ifs and else statements of different branches of different different ways you could flow through the code? Is that what you what you're Yeah, basically, yeah. So sort of um uh, the 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 complexity becomes um to do with yeah naming and indentation and you know just generally like you know the more if else is return it you know that's like bad stuff basically um and um well i mean not say it's bad bad but it's just we we are in a position where we are able to make bad code better you know like that's brilliant you know there's there's still a lot of code probably being written like this code and you know the, it, it, it's been operating for its time. So, you know, like that's the thing really, uh, you can go into the approach of code writing and making it super clean and squeaky. And, but actually the reality is you've got to build something to work first before you can make it work better or refactor. Um, the thing ultimately is whether you are given the time to go back again. You know, if you've worked on yeah. stuff via agency or something, usually it's like rush, 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 money's gone, go on to a new thing. Um, yeah. And much like working on real engines, like you need maintenance and you need servicing. And, you know, like it, you wouldn't think twice about taking a car for a service like once a year or twice a year. But with web, 
um, there's a tendency of going, well, well, that bit works. Just let it continue to work. Yeah, it works. Yeah, so yeah, and then, like you said, it, there's definitely parts of every code base I think that people don't want to change or touch, even though, like, because it's working, right? Why, why would we change it? Or maybe we're yeah. too scared to change it because we're too worried about breaking something. Yeah, and I think as you said, like, how do we, how do we test what it does if we don't really know what it does? So, how, how do you figure out what it does? Because presumably it's working if it's in production, and and it's doing the thing it needs to be doing, or is this something that's not working and you're going to try and fix it? I mean, in this instance, um, the thing that was different between when it was written and now is that we're throwing way more orders for it. So it's busier. So you can like inefficient code when it's not being used very much, doesn't matter what your latency is on database queries really, or as much. It does, but it, it doesn't. But when you've got concurrent visits and it makes a massive difference or when you've got a lot of, you know, you've got people, I mean, with our, with our, with our um, company, like when an order goes through, it, someone in the warehouse has to pick the order, right? So there is someone, if our software is slow, people are standing around doing nothing. So that's, whereas, you know, when you're doing more sort of web-based client work, you you do sort of think about the user at the other side on the browser in their house or on their phone, but yeah. it's a lot more abstract because you don't actually know who they are. Whereas, you know, in our place, we can, you know, we, we've got personas for people, yeah. um, but actually we can use real names because but we can say that's people. being used by <laughs> Dave or Dan or Chris or whatever, you know, like where yeah. they are and that humanization part of it is, you know, like that's really good, I think, because you are then going, right, well, I'm making this, I'm solving this problem for X person rather than mm -hmm. some arbitrarily 30 to 45 year old of, you know, like that. It, it, yeah. It's Personas are better than nothing, but real people are better than personas. <laughs> yeah, I've lot of the same thing. So my day job is working with Transport for Wales. So yeah, I'm able to do the same sort of thing. I can, I can literally sort of imagine people out there sort of running obviously running the trains and and working at the stations and you know when i'm seeing uh, or fixing things like web forms for for booking assistance or something i can sort of think that you know obviously we need to fix this because i don't want to think of somebody sit on a platform waiting for for assistance and you know they're not because the web form that we built doesn't work or something there's an actual um real life sort of situation rather than something that's more abstract like you said than just thinking of a 25 to 35 person uh year old person persona or something so yeah yeah i think that's yeah for something if you're working in an in-house thing that's maybe easier to do or than than say compared to working if you're like with an agency or something and you're like a level away from that um yeah it's always not good to yeah actual people <laughs> it was better than, than it's made of uh arbitrary arbitrary things so yeah how do you so what what approaches have you got then for testing for testing legacy because i i assume that if you're testing if you're if you're writing new code then we've got tdd and we've got the, the write the test first and write the test the code with the test pass first you've got a whole red green refactor loop cycle but if you if you're if you've already got code so you've got legacy code that's there I just assume that you can't do that because you've already got code that's the code's already written, so you can't TDD it. So how do you start? Um... Well, what we you know, the approach really, I guess, is sort of trying to see what bits you can uh, extract. Um, so, for example, I recall a seven thousand line user model. Um, for a financial services company that I worked with a few model. years back. Yeah, 7,000 lines it was. Uh, and I think it had uh, about 2% code coverage on it, on this cloud. Um, so I, at that point, was tasked to basically write some additional stuff relating to the user. So at that point, it was just sort of going, right, there's got to be something in there that I can probably extract to a class that right. is small enough and contained enough that actually I can then write some tests around the behavior of that code that I've extracted. So mm -hmm. effectively, 
getting the parity between your test and your class, getting the coverage for the small bit. And then when you've got a small bit, you've got something to glue another test on. So then at that point, you can sort of approach the, I now need to make this change. Um, with the um, topic I was referring to in my talk, PHP Southwest, um, the issue that we had is we couldn't get the test framework on against the same code base because we we were limited by you know effectively as an old version of there there was um php unit but we couldn't mock the database so you can write sort of unit tests but anything involving database write or you know which you know essentially we were trying to test a console command so it was sort of like where do we put this um the fortunate thing in our position was that we did have access to the database. We knew what the schema was, and fortunately, um, and that you know, the there had been work with sort of a more modern Laravel app that was using the same database structure. So, effectively, we had access to the database. We knew well. We had a means to run the code um and we had a means to examine the database after the code had run so effectively that job swung more around to being like testing an api so you don't really know what's going on in the middle we're not getting a response back from it of sorts but we can do assertions against the database so i i run a thing i i mock up some data i hit the remote endpoint it does something it writes some results, you know, and then we know what we're expecting. So we knew with this code that effectively what we were checking uh, was that any modifications we do meant that it failed in the same way because we needed to make sure we were only, like there was a number of exceptions that it would fail. So for example, um, if it didn't have prices, or there wasn't any quantity for something, you know, like stock didn't exist, um, or there was no matches on searching or that kind of thing. Um, so we did have a set of things that we could write some tests against. Um, and what we actually did was go and write, well, we've got all the, we've got a whole list of errors. Let's write a small test that returns that means we can consistently produce any each error so what that ultimately meant was we could baseline it by how it going right we run our test suite we can guarantee that 11 or no sorry 31 different errors are written um, and then that gives us a scope to modify or write additional tests to test for success states because there were some set success states in there so what we we're trying to do is basically cover the uh you know sort of like get the footprint so make make sure we're sort of co covering all the code by what we what we can test um ultimately we weren't 100 sure of code coverage because there was no report but it was kind of like that was our does this continue to work are, are we are, will this code continue continue to work um and so that was what the first step in this position was what that then meant was we our, our next thing was essentially um optimizing so we were like oh we we want to reduce database load how can we change you know make the code more efficient by caching parts etc so it's the case then of sort of like how you know sort of checking um database load or we wrote a ticker that meant that we could have a log logging going on on the on the machine end so we were logging to a database so actually then we can check so if it's erroring it's writing exceptions are there all the exceptions being thrown or you know is it writing happy messages when it's doing the right thing you know that kind of stuff so there was a little bit in that respect as well sort of you know um just running some diagnostics really off off the expression engine side, but also, you know, being able to build out the PHP unit work as well.
you doing a particular or specific thing around load testing? So if we mentioned load and concurrency, you run a particular test of like, if I make a thousand or so many requests in a second, what happens? Is that something that you're running as part of this test suite or separately? Well, we did, uh, we were able to set some sort of like well we the the code that we were running were was would you'd hit it and then it would respond after a time so um rather than like pushing something to into a job and just letting it run off the queue so the runtime with a small amount of data is quite you don't really get much difference in time for your optimizations so it was a case of factoring up sort of like thousand or you know five thousand orders of a similar thing and just basically punching it through and then saying if i run this with this optimization this will run quicker um so that was that was the check um we're also able to check um for uh external calls as well so it was some it was making network calls across um so yeah call, calling across to apis from i mean it's yeah a bit a bit um what's the word fruity so models making calls out via um sort of um what's the word uh yeah mo models make models making yeah, calls out to external apis and then like you know you've got the latency aspect of that as well as it's right into the database um so that's a little bit easier to quantify because basically the difference you know like external calls take longer um and the intention at, yeah sorry have you looked at or, or used my php bench because that's that's again dan's um benchmarking tool one of those things built into that it's like assert that this runs in less than 300 milliseconds or something um sounds like something might be i think we've i think nice. we've come across it i mean this work was being done across the team so i sort of uh was uh you know more responsible for the structure and testing of the initial work and rather than the actual implementation because uh, we kind of ended up spending a few weeks getting the test suite together um the bit that was more significant really was proving to the business that we were able we were capable to write and change the code without it breaking because there was a lot of reticence and i guess this is probably across business anyway of um changes changing this code is bad bad things will happen um and it, there had been previous examples of bad things happening um like quite bad things happening which had kind of meant that the appetite for change um and this i think in, across the board in general like we've tested this don't do any more code change you'll break you'll break yeah. it um whereas actually what you want to do is make it simpler so it's more manageable so that you can you know like good code can be changed at any time you know that's the that's the approach yeah yes yeah, good code. yeah good code isn't just easy to write it's easy to change and be able to do that confidently so yeah so how did you go about doing that like convincing sort of the business or other people like how did you uh how did you go about doing that what getting the sort of approval i guess we we basically just we we presented our test cases and presented the you know like the, this is what we're you led them led them along the journey so that was that was that was the thing you know quite similar to how i described in my talk um you know essentially this is the problem this is what we've considered this is evidence um here is more evidence um and we split the work up into very small chunks when we released it so it was a case of the confidence of if this doesn't go well, we can roll back, right? That's that's the thing, you know, because the the, the release part is great, but it's having the plan for, you know, disaster planning ultimately. Um, and what we found actually is that once we started releasing, we were doing sort of like daily releases with, you know, watch data dog in the afternoon to see what the spikes are. And then it was a case then of just being able to evidence that the database has dropped off um and in in our place obviously we well we're using aws so database traffic dropped means money saved right so not only is your code working more efficiently is actually saving money compared to when it you know like 
it's quite it was quite noticeable amount of money saved which you know um gave us uh, a bit more sort of leeway to be able to do the latter releases yeah i suppose building up that momentum then as well and you know as one of this episode with ed crompton uh the earlier episodes we talked a lot about breaking things down into small chunks and, and iterating and for me i'm much happier doing lots of smaller more regular releases and then being able to sort of either quickly fix forward rather than roll back rather compared to like here's a release with three months worth of stuff in or six months of, of stuff in um much much happier doing lots of small releases even though it seems counterintuitive to some people to begin with like you're going to break you've got more opportunity to break things because you've deployed more often because like yeah but that release only had 10 lines or something of change in it or you know or some small amount of change compared to to use one release with thousands of changes in it um usually they can sort of start to see or sort of justify that to people or change people's sort of initial perspective um and i think yeah it's about communication as you said and just sort of what are you doing have we thought of x and y and then sort of handhold people through it and take them through it so it's really good that you're in a, a situation where you can you can do that you've got that trust to be able to go and make those sorts of changes and similarly to like like you were saying with the uh, personas versus real people argument you know it's if you know that by making this database request x plus is going to save that amount of money you can again really closely tie what you're doing to a, an outcome rather than being something more theoretical uh, that's going to be a, a good motivator as well yeah certainly um I mean, obviously, within testing, it's a lot easier to approach testing from the fix a bug approach. Mm. But, you know, probably, you know, what you will find is, you know, and we found this when we released, there was a few things that we hadn't considered. But the case then of going, right, well, now we know this has failed a bit different to how we were expecting. So we can either roll it back to a state where we're not getting that error or just live with it for a little bit and work out what it was that because i mean we found with some of this that you know where there was areas of the code that weren't even running because basically it was sort of you would set something and then it would not return or you know fall like because he, these conditional statements were so complex that it was very difficult to see where you were actually ending up it was like you know do you end up at the bottom of the like you end up at the bottom of the file somehow but that's you know that that, that's a tricky thing so being able to take that into smaller chunks or start extracting um you know really like your objective is to write a small amount of code as possible um and having the test alongside it is your documentation um and so that then means ultimately we're providing the means for someone else to go in and do it um i hoping ultimately that you know with this work that we've done it gives the business more confidence that that piece of code can be changed uh and to apply the same technique across the rest of the code base because i mean we've got a a good bit of you know code that's there uh, well ultimately the test cases so if we were to port it over into our you know into a separate application we've still got the means to run the test suite that we've currently got against that so it would be very easy to ensure you know even if we were changing language um you could ensure that your code is doing what at least it was doing before um you know your tests are your your sort of your tests are your evidence yeah you've almost got a case study you know in a way like internal internal case study like we've done this once on this bit of code we can then do the same thing again on a different different part of a different service and carry some uh credit from having done it on once once already yeah i think that's the thing it's like having the goodwill so you know if we were to say oh we we're going to want to do x you go well you did that and it didn't it didn't burn the business down <laughs> but yeah. uh the guy that, that you know that the, it is obviously it's a tricky thing i mean i can I can see sort of why people would have avoided it and, you know, why you do end up with 7,000 line user class. You know, it didn't start like that. You know, it definitely didn't start like that. It's just sort (laughs) of like, I'm not sure how that works. I'll copy and paste that bit in. 
Um, and obviously, like the issue with that, you know, having spent a lot of time contracting is that it's people's engagement with the code that they're writing. You know, like it's the, um, are you just doing enough? Or, you know, like it's that difference between, you know, like if you are tasked to do a small, you know, in the sprint, you've got a couple of objectives to do. Like you can't really justify doing a big refactor. Um, and as time goes on, the big refactor gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you sort of, it, I guess it's, you know, it's a blessing and a curse really of sort of like working in sort of scrum um, with, you know, that kind of work in that, you know, you're going from feature to feature, but it's having, you know, having the requirement of having someone there to kind of do servicing, you know, like make sure it 10,000 miles, take it apart, see whether it's, you know, see whether your engine's coked up or whether you need to change things. Um, you know, software, I think, is still in this sort of light state where people, it, you know, you can build it so quick that you can build something quick and it can stay there forever. Um, I mean, I think I vaguely think I've still got a site which I built like 15, 20 years. Like it, I don't know, I can't remember. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's doing enough, but yes. it certainly would have benefited from refactoring. But the budget that I've got to do it versus a reward it'd be better off you know spinning the disposing of it and setting up you know something that someone else has already built that you just need to plug images and text into you know don't uh, really don't try and make a snowflake yeah I think even an example of a project I worked on once I think well, I think it was 2011 because the Drupal Commerce was released it was the year Drupal Commerce was released at, at DrupalCon London event and it was for an e-commerce site for uh, it was working for an agency for, for one of their clients and i had a decision to make do i do it on this new thing that had just been released which was drupal 7 and drupal commerce or do i stick with what i know and do it on drupal 6 and use ubercart and use that on a few projects before built it and yeah it was still being used in production until a couple of years ago on drupal 6 which is yeah, it's long since been supported, but it worked. So yeah, it's like, again, what's what's the business case and what's where's the value in in rewriting or or moving if it if it works? Other than of course, you know, there's security updates and implications, but some people just want to it works. Let's just let's just carry on with it. Well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? Of you know, for the general software buyer, non-technical, the thing does the thing. You know, does it look the same? You know, there be the I I found that the people will justify a software change if you can make it cosmetically look different. Mm -hmm. um, like that's more important than it being more like because you know like that that that's just what that's just what's important. So once you've bought once you've bought it, you'll use it until it's unusable, rather than keep it going. You know, um, but like I say, there's been so much more better things. You know, if you think looking back to e-commerce, for example, you know, go back to building an Uber car or OS commerce or previous to that, um, you know, e-commerce online was very difficult and very expensive and had to be installed on a server that was expensive to run in a physical site somewhere so then you need someone else to run it and you know um and then you've got things like um big cartel and shopify and you know um squarespace like which do brilliant things it's just that you know they've been built for multiples so they it's a sort of volume of people using it makes it cheaper um and then it swings us back around to sort of i guess being the um what's the word uh, zero code approaches of yeah. you know just configuring um systems um which you know i think i think is brilliant that's an amazing thing for web to, mm -hmm. for that to be so available for people it just means that people like you and i have to change our skill sets to be able to be you know you're you're managing a project and managing data as opposed to um sort of you know writing every line of code or you know, but it's that sort of standardization. I mean, I, I love the fact that, 
Shopify is so configurable and really easy to get into. But still, you know, there's still an art to being able to get a good site app there. Um, you know, it isn't, you know, like with WordPress, you can have a WordPress site that you can install a ton of plugins on and uh, bad things happen. But um, yeah, you know, for do. most people using it, it doesn't matter really, you know, like they're doing their business and it's just, they treat it the same way as if they were printing a brochure or, um, you know, just that internal, you know, spin up word, write a document, mail it around the office, you know, that kind of thing. So it's a different, you know, it's a, it's a different, it's a different approach, but um, when you start getting volume of traffic, like that's where optimization and customization is really important. And that is kind of like where, our skills kind of come in really ultimately you know like the the ability to you know you just i guess it's higher end stuff ultimately yeah i had a client who would had a a bookstore or something online uh they moved their main website onto shopify a couple of years ago but i'd also built for them um a photography competition that that they run so they just run this for like a couple of weeks a year people upload their submissions on and that's all done with Drupal commerce and so essentially they're placing an order by entering this competition and attaching the photographs to the order which is their entry mm-hmm. and um, then there's some custom things that happen behind the scenes then so you've got people who go in and will judge them assign a score to each one and we can see then who's who's judged what and what scores they've given and what the each average is for each score and, and everything so um, they were looking at moving that into Shopify as well. And I said, well, it will work for your use case of your bookstore because it's the same sort of a typical e-commerce approach. And it would work for the, the front part of that. But what you won't get then is the custom stuff behind the scenes for all the, the custom judging panels and everything that I've done. And for them, that's sort of where the value is. And it's come to, like you said, like for us, it's about yeah, what problem are we solving or, or what value are we adding? And is, if, we, if we can do part of it using some sort of no-code solution, then, yeah, that's ultimately probably better, I think. Yeah, I think as well is when, like, in that case you've got, is if they've got a fixed budget, it's like, well, yeah, cool. Well, you can save some money by doing the more general stuff using mm-hmm. something more general, which then means that we've got more focus on the custom bit. Yeah. Um, and it also reduces, I mean, okay, you might reduce your budget a bit, but you also have got a smaller problem to solve because you're just solving mm-hmm. the, the, solving the, the, the technical bit rather than, you know, just doing a migration or managing sort of a fairly generic sort of process. I mean, it, it the, but any e-commerce stuff where, I mean, when you've, had to do things like shipping notifications and install payment gateways and all this kind of stuff, which is risky work ultimately. I think that's what sort of pushed me more towards Drupal in the first place ultimately was like when I went from stopping writing custom for everybody um, to actually going, right, well, this is great. We can use Drupal for most of the sites you know install themes i can get someone who's not particularly savvy at coding but it's good at doing front end to basically skin this stuff up um and then any customization can be done you know modular specifically for the problem that you're trying to solve you know just sort of have a little bit of custom um and a lot of but then bringing around to you know where we've you know sort of looping back around to the legacy stuff is that by going to a sort of off the shelf let's say it gives you the option of doing upgrades with very little risk um and that's ultimately like the most important bit because and particularly with ecom like you know if you're you get an exploit it can cost you your reputation you know like all horrible things after 11 o'clock at night you know that kind (laughs) of uh, i've got you know stores gone down due to x you know whereas are you don't worry about security on Shopify because they've got enough devs at their end to worry about that. Um, and yeah. also I've got some, um, what's the word, um, assurances by contracts or SLAs um, with 
this stuff being broken and also it being you know or the limiting stuff being broken and also knowing when it would be fixed as well you know like it yeah. makes e-commerce way more manageable by just taking out the bit that the devs have got to worry about you know i'd rather make i'd rather sell smaller lot, lots of smaller sites which are less cognitive load than uh, having the big ones that you know no one wants to do a 50 grand e-commerce site anymore yeah it's sort of a tweet or a linkedin post or a x post whatever it is these days they and it said it was a screenshot of somebody doing a pull request or a merge request onto a project that it was to do with the amount of code being removed. And I remember seeing it said code to be treated like a liability and not like an asset. Yeah. So essentially the less code you've got, the better. So yeah. And I've, I've found that when you asset. find yourself writing a test and sort of like going, well, actually, that means I, only, I can only add, I only need to add two lines of code. Or actually, this case that I'm I've, I've written another test, and I've found that is the the code that I've got is already covered by that. I mean, obviously, like there's the issue of I I've written a test and it passes, right? Well, I haven't changed anything, so I need to make sure my test is better because actually my test should fail. Um, yeah. But I mean, as a scenario earlier on, we're sort of upgrading a couple of commands on uh, console commands. And the test that I wrote that failed the first time wrote the test to pass it. Second test passed because first test passed. So it was a different scenario, a, di a different scenario, um, but using the same code. So it was like, well, great. I've I inadvertently got this working for two cases. You know, I was basically building out from existing tests anyway. So it's sort of, you know, it was it was um, it it was good to get that. But the thing with that was going, well, if this test is passing without writing any code, I don't necessarily even need this test anymore. So I'll make my test cases easier to read by having less of them. Um, one yeah, thing that awesome. we've kind of suffered from, which is when you get smart stuff going on in tests where people start extracting the tests into separate sort of base classes so that you can do import a big bulk importing of data and then you end up having to sort of uh, read across uh, read across uh, CSVs to try and work out what was supposed to be going on uh, which becomes obviously quite complex but I think the thing is there's always going to be stuff like that mm -hmm. is knowing that you could change it and when is a sensible time to change it um, you know if you yeah. can rewrite if, if you've got time to do tech debt on test test cases brilliant you know like that's great because it just makes it easier to read and it helps the next guy so you know we've got quite comprehensive test coverage and sort of api endpoints so you put a new api endpoint and go well if i'm writing crud i can base it off these tests that i've already got um, i don't need to think of all the scenarios i'm testing because i've already tested similar so bit more sort of cookie cutter stuff ultimately but you get better i think at identifying um what the change is but making sure that actually you still are approaching it with tests in mind um and significantly like you know whilst i am a big fan of tdd i won't always tdd it is a case of going right you know maybe you'll start change you'll you'll scratch at the surface a little bit on your code to see what might change and then quickly support it with tests um, rather than going, I can't write a single line of code without testing. Because if you're going into putting a new API endpoint in, for example, you would have find the root, fail, put a new root in. It's that kind of stuff of going, well, I know all of this stuff. Like clearly I'm going to need root in and stuff. And I'd say my latter tests are going to cover it. So, mm -hmm. you know, why make it more complicated by sort of, being really anal like you know i've also seen people yeah spike it out first by write it and then do literally get reset and then wipe it all away and then start TDing it it's like having had that initial sort of play and now they know more about what they're building which i thought was quite interesting <laughs> yeah the, i uh... i tend to um might spike it a bit and then i'll just cut a new branch and go right well i've done this particularly i mean we're doing a lot with migrations so again well 
I'll give it a go on here, knowing that this work won't go into production, kind of like a proof of concept. And then I'll write and I'll, I'll cut a new branch and then write my test. And then um, what's the word? Cherry pick the files from the code that I've done or at least compare. And in that respect, like, you know, writing it and throwing it away and writing it again means that actually you'll write it more efficiently because you're kind of doing a refactor. You know, you're, you've, you're having that opportunity to do sort of refactoring as you get as you go on um <laughs> so that helps but the good thing in that as well is you know you can get a diff against the code base and have a do a load of code and just look at it go well, actually what is it even that's going on there you know what i mean or like have <laughs> i touched too much in this pr um yes. all right well i'll go back and reset some of it or i'll make another branch i mean we yeah, yeah i've yeah got multiple branches of the same tickets of stuff like more recently i've been working on just because it's sort of you've got to try out you know it's like what what's the limits of what we can do and you are in that position where actually if it's a bit exploratory which is classically why people go well how do i know i i don't know what i'm how can i write a test i don't know what the code's supposed to do it's like well how can you write code if you don't know what the code's supposed to do that's a good question another good question uh, yeah, I think we should get some really interesting stuff. I think we should start wrapping it up. Yeah, now. sure. Um, do you have any big tips or approaches for if, if people are working with legacy code? Any big? I mean, we talked quite a lot about testing. Have you got any sort of um, sort of things that you'd, you'd recommend people to to do? Well, I think the it's always approach it with the view that you can write a test of some form somehow, right? Um, that it, because where you're going is my test is providing documentation for me and other people like me um, so that they can continue to use this piece of code. So it's not, you're, you're writing your test is not just to ship your code, it's helping yourself or your future self. So that's a sort of like initial part. Um, and in that respect, it's like, you know, your, your, every bit of code that you're writing goes in a git commit and you can do git blame and see, you know, like it, it still exists, right? It's going to stay in a code base. So that, that's the thing of like, oh, well, let's just get something good in there. Um, also the approach of, you know, like you don't need to have 100% code coverage. Um, write coverage around the tricky bits, if there are tricky bits, um, and look for where stuff fails. Because you know, like sometimes, you know, we you might go, well, I'm looking at there's there's quite a lot of front end test um, testing frameworks. But I'm not really that worried so much about cosmetics at this point. You know, you having spent a long time in web working for agency and doing front end, it's, you know, way more people are more worried about what pixel perfect is. But from our point, and you said like your transport for whales stuff, you know, like it's, there's a human using this. So make it easy for the human, like, you know, have that, have that in mind, you know. Um, but, also, like I say, just it, it's just looking at what you've got. You know, is there is there a way to change this? Sometimes you might go, well, I'll have a think. I'll, I've got to just get this change in without the code coverage. You know, like just pragmatic. Ultimately, you know, thing is on fire, put fire out. Um, but you know, if you're good at it, you're you become better at reproducing. You know, I said about the tests, the, the testing bugs. Testing bugs are brilliant because someone reports a problem. You write a test to prove you can reproduce that problem. And then you change your code to, or you change your test to then provide the correct outcome, which will fail. Um, or, you know, second test and then write your second test, write your code to make your second test pass. And then you can either invert your first test to find error doesn't exist, which is similar uh, behavior, but it 
then you can be 100% confident that your change is going to fix the thing that was reported. It may cause some other problem, but if your code coverage is good and you are responsive with that, you know, like, how do I know this is working or not? You know, what, what you, you know, did my release go out? And then, as you say, it's a case of rolling back to a known state or making some forward change to get the known state that you want as well. Uh, but the yeah. tests, you know, when you're done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's it. I, 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 in a, in a very brief uh, sort of uh, nutshell, it's a case of, you know, approaching the work of how do I know when I'm done, right? That's the, you know, that that is the essence of of of, you know, here make sure the task is clearly defined at the start, in a way that you know when you're done. Um, that's, you know, that that's a simple thing. Otherwise, you're just, you know, what's the word? You can over optimize or uh, mm -hmm. refactor for no benefit and you know if you were your boss paying you for doing this i'm sure they'd rather you do a good job in two hours than doing it in two weeks yeah i feel like there's another tundra we could go off then about how do you make sure you've got good acceptance criteria and how do you know like you've got all your user stories written in a good way you've got all those sort of test cases sort of described up front but yeah, we'd we'd have a whole other <laughs> another episode of of that if we uh, we go down that route. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, ultimately, in in that case, you are is a case of containing your code into small enough chunks so that it's very clear that you have got your test case is for there. But you know, that's a whole, as you say, a whole world of a uh, whole world of pre planning um, and more time you can spend up front with acceptance criteria or knowing what the next bit, you know, so you can basically pivot onto the next bit of code that you're writing. Um, you know, if you've got another user, you need to consider, make it easy to add that onto the existing users that you're currently considering. Other than at PHP Southwest, um, where can people find you usually online? <laughs> Is there somewhere that people got questions they can, uh, they can ask? Um, I have been a long, I, I got into using Twitter a long time ago and then got out of using Twitter a long time ago as well. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I'm available. I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, to be honest. Find me Mike.Karthauser at uh, LinkedIn. That's probably the easiest place to find me. Um, I have a very small single page website um, with a contact on for a company, my sort of sole trade company, which is Automica labs so that's automica.io a-u-t-o-m-i-c-a sort of dot io um and yeah either of those or on the meetups um or you know find me first name last name at habu.com we'll put a link to all those things in the uh, episode notes as well but uh thanks for joining me today and i'll look yeah. forward to seeing you at uh, PHP South, next php southwest next week yeah thanks ollie Good thanks to everyone for listening and yeah, speak yeah. to the beyond blocks podcast i'm oliver davis thank you very much <laughs>